Hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Very, very good, man. Yeah, really good. I've thoroughly enjoyed um, this weekend's football. I know we've briefly touched on the subject on uh, Twitter and we've had quite an amazing response um, how uh, TNT Sports, previously BT Sports, have no longer covering the Portuguese league this season. Last year, we got one game a week in the UK on uh, UK TV. This year, we've got absolutely no proper channels of being able to watch watch the league. And when I saw that, you know, it just made me feel seeing Port- the Portuguese league slip down the coefficient rules. Uh, sorry, the coefficient places as well in, in the recent seasons and. And the fact that you know there's, it's harder and harder to watch this league for not only people in the UK but people across Europe and across the world essentially just makes me think. I don't know. I start to get doubts that, that you know is this really that good a good a league? Is that you know is is there really quality there? And then and then we have a weekend like we've just had, and I'm like <laughs> you know maybe it's because I haven't been watching football so much recently. You know I haven't had any football to watch, but the fact that yeah we've got given this weekend of games, some amazing goals, great scorelines, great drama. Um, yeah, just sort of completely restored my faith in, uh, you know, how, how, how good a, a product this is and then how enjoyable it is to watch week after week. I think that's really well said because you're, you're spot on. And do you know what? There was there was two things that kind of gave me a, a bit of a down before the season started. I don't want to single them out, but one was Victoria crashing out of the, the Conference League. I was really positive for that. And then I felt a little bit down. And then, yeah, as you rightly say, um, from our perspective, obviously we're in the UK, so from the UK's perspective, it was sad to hear that uh, TNT Sports won't be covering Portuguese football this season, um, and that kind of made me down a bit, Barney, because as I said in, in the tweet that we put out, that's the first time since we started this podcast that there will be no Portuguese football on UK TV since we started three seasons ago. There's been some form of televised. Portuguese games you know at one point it was a channel called Free Sports who played a couple of games a week then there were the glory days of I think the second season we did the the podcast where it was one game on BT and two further games on on Free Sports so we're getting three games a week I think you just always want to feel like you're moving forward and things are growing and what part of what you know you're part of something that's building but you know this kind of this kind of news that the uh, the TNT Sports had dropped out and that we weren't going to have any Premier League football was a bit of a, a downer. But, as you say, we were treated to just an incredible week of football in the Premier League. It came at the perfect time. Um, I've got some stats for you here, Brian. These are nicked from Pedro Vieira uh, on Twitter. He, uh, he kind of came up with these. So, nine games this weekend, an average of 3.78 goals per game. Seven out of the nine games had a goal after the 90th minute. Four out of the nine games saw a team come from behind to win. And do you know off the top of your head how many draws there were this weekend, Barney? Was it none? Zero. I mean, what a weekend that is. It doesn't get much better than that. No, it was absolutely brilliant. I just couldn't believe what a, what a flying start we got with, uh, yeah, this, the, come back. And look, we 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 just recorded our, our season preview as well, going through all the teams and, uh, as always, we were completely proven wrong on on some of them. I know we're going to get into it in a second on some of our predictions and some of our analysis of the, <laughs> the squads and teams and managers. 
you know but that that's 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 what this podcast was all about man it's like that you know these we're there to be proven wrong because sometimes we don't get it right <laughs> that's part of the fun man that's why we do it we uh put ourselves out there and often we get things wrong occasionally we get uh something right well it was look, an incredible weekend in the Primera Liga it's so good to be back watching Portuguese football and doing this show we're going to get into it in just a second but as always, just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy listening to the show, perhaps if you listened to the uh, season preview show and you found that informative um, and you want to support us, make sure you're following us on Twitter. Make sure you're engaging uh, with all the stuff we're putting out on there. And if you really want to get involved and support us, you can become a Longball Football Socio on our Patreon page for just £1 a month. And it really helps support us as a DIY podcast. The link to that is in the description of this podcast but look, let's not waste any time and get into the games from this week Barney we spent the majority of the last season starting our podcast by discussing Benfica games so it feels only right to do the same again and I think it's fair to say that everyone has predicted big things for Benfica this year given how good they were last season and the investment that they've made over the summer well, I don't think anyone expected them to slip up in their first game against the Bobis Society, who've not made one single signing this summer. Uh, many have tipped them for relegation, um, but that's exactly what happened. They got off to a great start. Uh, Benfica went one nil up, despite some very good football from Bovista. But it was a red card from former Bovista man, Peter Musa, which threw a bit of a spanner into the works. Uh, and despite going up 2-1 with 10 men, Bovista equalised with an 89th minute penalty before going on to score a sensational 102nd minute winner from Robert Bojnik. And it gave Bovista a memorable win over the reigning champions. Of course, I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say I did not expect Bovista to get anything out of this game. But let's make one thing very clear from the beginning. And that is even before the red card, Barney, even before they were playing against 10 men, Bovista were playing really well, playing very good football, attacking Benfica every chance they got. And those players in that Bovista side fought for every single ball from the first minute to the end. And they done themselves and their fans very proud. Yeah, I think that's one thing you you always get with Bovista is, you know, their tenaciousness, their their work, their their efforts. Um, you know, they they've got a really solid midfield in, in Perez and Makuta, you know, those are those are excellent players. You know, they're they're, they're always gonna work. They're very tidy. Um and the fullbacks as well, we, we know how good they are, Pedro Maliero and Onyamichi, they're both great at getting forward and and back. Look, I think the thing that I'm gonna carry through from our season preview was that statistic I brought to the table, which was that last season only the big four teams outscored Bo Vista. And for me unearthing that statistic it completely well not blew my mind but you know it sort of definitely changed my opinion of what I had of Bovis you know I, I'd always put them down as a sort of a petty well petty the the, the player but petty the manager is bringing you know he does bring a, a, attacking football and they you know they do try to get goals when they can um, and they absolutely did that in, in, in this game um, I mean I, I also want to apologise to Bosnick as well because in our season preview I was sort of writing him off as sort of not being able to fill the shoes that Peter Moose and then um, Yusufo and G had had left you know those were two good goal scorers for Bovista and I, I had real doubts that Bosnick could do it he was excellent in this game he was really really good and and 
do you know what as well? He's the, he is the sort of striker who is always going to cause big teams problems. You know, he will win headers. He'll wear down the defenders physically. You know, he's got that presence. He he can receive the ball. He, he can bring people into play. He, he it was a really good performance and he took his the winning goal so well. You know, there was so much time for him to... Um, Talk about pressure. Oh, well, exactly, man. And and I've heard, I've heard um, you know... Um, ex-striker ex striker pundits talk about this uh, a couple of times you know the fact that sometimes when you have that extra bit of time it just it, it gets in your head you, you become unnatural you don't just do your instincts you think about too much so he did he did really well to put it between um uh, Vlacodimus's legs and, and get that winner so you know that I, I I think that was brilliant for him um and I think you're right Albert, like you said you know both of us were in this game from the beginning you know they were there, they were there for the fight um, I do think the red card obviously did play a, a, a quite a pivotal point. I, I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but um, it was a striker's challenge from Peter Musa, wasn't it? It was it was poor, it was lazy, um, and it was a red card. You know, it's just it's just one of those things. He, he went over the ball, and yeah, I think that moment and and Schmidt's decision on how to change that team really did affect the game. You know, taking Di Maria off, bringing Morata on. You know, Di Maria got his goal, of course, and was a, is a great player. But yeah, that was a really pivotal moment for me in the game that, uh, for the way it played out after that. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you look at the you look at the challenge, and there's part of me that thinks if, if you if you go back and watch uh, the highlights of this game, they do show two good angles of, of the tackle. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it's essentially Peter Musa going in for a fifty-fifty, lunging in for a fifty-fifty. His foot lands on the top of the ball and then slides off and he goes studs up uh, onto the leg of, I forget which player it was, excuse me, that uh, was on the receiving end of the tackle, but it doesn't look great. There's one angle where it shows um, the Burmester player's ankle really bent over and you think, Christ, that looks awful. But then there is a second angle where it does show that actually the Burmester player rolls his ankle before Musa makes contact with him. So Musa hasn't caused that injury in that sense, but he has gone over the ball, so I, I totally understand why the ref gave it. Um, it's, 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 it's an interesting one, though, because it's worth remembering two things. One, that Benfica went 2-1 up after they went down to 10 men, so it's difficult to say that, that Bovista only got back into the game because Benfica had 10 men when, one, Benfica were actually winning with 10 men uh, before they conceded the late penalty, and two, worth remembering that Boavista themselves went down to 10 men before they scored the winning goal. So I don't think you can really put this win down to that uh, that red card offence. Although, of course, look, it's it's hypothetical, but if Peter Musa stays on the pitch, maybe he scores another couple of goals and then he can win the game easily. Um, I think this is maybe a good time to say that I actually think Benfica played pretty well, given the circumstances. And I think if you look at this game from their perspective, Obviously, we know, Barney, that in this league, any time a top three team loses a game of football, it's big news. But if you're if you look at it from a more objective standpoint, take a step back. Listen, they came up against a strong team. It wasn't going to be an easy game. Borussia made everything very difficult for them. Um, they did well to take a 1-0 lead uh, in the tough game. Obviously, they get the players sent off but then they and concede. But then they do very well to get the second goal and go ahead again. Um, they're playing with a man disadvantage, trying to hold on to a lead. They do so right up until the 89th minute. It's then a penalty that gives Bovis an equaliser. And then the winning goal comes in the dying seconds of the game. And I think Roger Schmidt came out after the game and said he couldn't ask for any more from his players. I think that's a fair point. I think 
you know, if this was a, for example, an English Premier League game where we're more used to the top teams losing to teams lower in the table, I think most people would be able to look at this game objectively and say, well, it was a difficult game for, for Benfica. They gave it everything they could, but ultimately it's possible to lose games like this. The fact that it's the Portuguese league and games like this and results like this can define titles makes this a much more significant result. But I don't think this is a, an absolute disaster for Benfica by any means. You know, you're talking about small margins. If Musa doesn't get sent off, maybe they don't give away the penalty, um, things could have been very different. But as it was, I think they'll they'll bounce back from this and, and they didn't look too bad in the game. No, I think we definitely need to praise the likes of Rafa and Di Maria. They looked really good in that first half. Rafa in particular it was um, relentless all game, so great praise. So it showed him, you know, he looks back at you know up to his best, um, which is always good to see. Oh, but you said... Uh, Schmidt said he couldn't ask any more from his players. I reckon he could have asked a bit more from Vlakadimos. Right? I, I would, I would actually lay blame at his door for the penalty. I think in, in the build-up to that play, um, he could have come and ca- caught the ball. Antonio Silva and um, Morata didn't know what was going on there. I think they both headed the same ball. I think Vlakadimos could have come up for that, and then he didn't do well after that as well. Um, and also, um, the, I had questions over his positioning for the final goal whether he could have got out a bit further um, I, I just wonder if that's the last time he'll play number one you know they've obviously signed Trumbin the Ukrainian goalkeeper I, the fans have been outraged I, I I try not to get sucked into the fans because sometimes I think there are overreactions around Lakanimos I think he's, he's usually a good shot stopper but I think there was a couple of mistakes in this game and I think the way everything's gone with this whole transfer window it looks like he I, I can just see him becoming the number two. We'll, we'll have to see. Maybe Schmidt's got other ideas. But look, I, to sort of praise a few of the Bovista players as well, who I think deserve a bit of praise. And this is um, the young players, you know, Thiago Marai, who was on the wing, um, played very well. One of the players who's been promoted from the youth team to sort of fill the void that Kenji Gori's left. Um, I think he had a good game. And then DeSantis, the Venezuelan striker, uh, who sort of got won the penalty as it were um i was i've always been interested in this guy ever since he was signed i think it was when we first started this podcast uh uh, uh they signed him for quite a significant amount of money as well when uh when gerard lopez first came on the scene with Boavista and threw a lot of money at the club he didn't really play for him at all last year he got loaned out to the spanish third tier um but look he I, he came on and then was effective, um, so that that's good. And and finally, Jao Gonçalves, the the goalkeeper, you know, big shoes to fill in Bracali. Um, he's he, he's another team that's come through the youth ranks at Bovista, made a few good saves. You know, it was um, yeah, he was really good. And and look, I think as you say, it's it's a, it's always a big moment when one of the big teams lose, it especially feels big in this game. The fact that Benfica, are everyone's favourite to win the league, and, and how strong they are. Um, it was a bit of a crazy game. Like, you know, Benfica hit the post to the bar a few times. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a it was a wild game. And I think you are going to get these games occasionally in this season. And I don't want to put too much on it because, you know, we've got a lot of games last week, of course. But I do wonder if Roger Smith could have played out this game better. I think, you know, that... Part of me feels that in taking Di Maria off, it, it really stuttered their attack, right? It, 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 
and I, I've seen two contrasting opinions of this by people I, I very much respect. Uh, Thomas Dacuna said that um, taking Dima off and putting a centre-back on was the right thing. It's what the team needed in that moment. And then I see Kevin Fernandez say, you know, well, actually, no, it's 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 completely disrupted there, the way they're going to go. If Surely this team can score again, as they did with 10 men. You know, they, they, perhaps they could have even killed off at 3-1. So, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. And obviously, hindsight's a wonderful thing, um, seeing that they lost. But I, it, it did feel like that was a, a mistake it, 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 now, I guess. But yeah, like I said, it's hard in the moment to, to see. Yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing. If they hold on to that 2-1 win, then everyone's talking about Roger Schmidt, you know, mm. as a genius. So it's difficult, it's difficult. Um, just to bring it back to Bowman, Mr. Bond, you talk about... Um, you talk about some of the players that they brought in and who did a good job. The thing I loved about this Bovis team, just to end on them, was was their mentality. We spoke so much about them on the season preview show, about their financial problems, about their lack of signings. You, know, you talk about these players they're giving a chance to, well, that's because they haven't been able to register any new players. So they're playing players like Thierry Marais, who was on loan at Le Soyce last season, um, You know, hasn't played a lot of senior games in, in a big game against Benfica, and they're delivering. Um, I think most people thought of this Bovista team that they were already beaten, not just in this game, but in the season as a whole. And I think what they really showed with the mindset that they came out was that that really was not the case. You know, this was a team that came out motivated, came out with a desire to compete. They fought for every ball and they got a result which they absolutely deserved. And I just want to end on my favourite tweet of the weekend, which came from Danny Saldana from the uh, All Things Avalade podcast, who just said, imagine how good these guys would be if they actually got paid. (laughs) All right, well, let's move on and go straight on to another upset from this weekend as Family Cal took all three points coming from behind to win 2-1 against Braga away from home. Um, This was the game that kicked off the season on the Friday night. Two teams that both look in a really good place going into the season. Both teams we expected good things from. And of course, it was Family Cow that took the win. Uh, a comeback and a 95th minute goal really took uh, the set the tone for the weekend. And not dissimilar to Benfica, Braga, who went into the game as favourites, got themselves into a winning position. But in this case, it felt like to me, Barney, that Braga became too passive. It was a kind of very speculative shot from Family Cow that got them their equalising goal and really set them on on their way and, and then obviously for the for the winning goal uh, from New Signing Aranda great individual quality but it's essentially a goal where a winger picks up the ball on the left wing runs into the box unchallenged and has a fairly easy time uh, to score a winning goal in the 95th minute you have to say for a team like Braga in my opinion I found that it was all a little bit too easy for Family Cow and, and Braga just weren't quite on it well I think um I think Family Cow changed things with the substitutions at just after half time. I think that really did did help them because I personally I think Braga controlled the game first half. You know, I think Vitor Carvalho, who they signed from Gil Vicente, um, who's just been put straight into the eleven alongside Rich Ratti, gave him gives him that bit of extra control. You know, he was very tidy. I've been very impressed with him actually, Albert, because I didn't he didn't really stand out very much as um, Gil Vicente last season, but he's looked great in this game and obviously the uh, the Champions League qualifier. I thought he's looked really good. Um, and yeah, and I was also surprised with Family Cal that they put in um, Otso Limata, the the young Finnish midfielder. He was thrown straight in in the number ten role, you know, perhaps filling the the gap of Ivan Jomi. But um, nineteen years of age, 
he looks a little off the pace. I don't know. He got caught out a few times. I've still got high hopes. He's fish out of water yeah. or deer in the headlights, you know, take your pick. But look, you know, when you're up against Carvalho and Lizarachi, that's always going to be hard. But look, despite all this, you know, this control that Braga had, I think you're right. They never did too much with it. I think Bruma found gaps a few times. But um, yeah, it was that free kick goal, which was, I mean, from Ricardo Horta, which was really impressive. I think there was a two man wall pretty far out. Um, he just sort of hits it as hard as he can into the bottom left-hand corner, finds it really nice, uh, nicely. Um, that was really good. But then, yeah, like uh, that was really their only main main opportunity. So, yeah, fam- there was there was opportunity for Famalicao to, to to change things, and I think they did in the second half. Yeah, I, I think you know I'm not trying to trying to under understate what Famalicao achieved by by winning this game, but like I said, I, I did find it a bit kind of lacklustre how they Braga kind of let them back into the game it was as you say they were controlling the game but not really doing anything with it and I think the right word is is is, is passive you know they weren't they weren't um they weren't positive enough they weren't proactive enough making things happen and family cow's first goal is a long shot out of nowhere which just kind of finds its way in the bottom corner it's the type of goal that goes in and all the Braga defenders are just standing around looking at each other, sort of going, well, well, how did that happen? How has that gone in? I think it happened because Braga players were all just a little bit off the pace. You know, they were just one or two steps behind in, in pressing that family cow team. I thought exactly the same thing for the winning goal. As I, I mean, I already said what I thought of that goal. I thought it was far too easy. No Braga player makes a, a challenge on the family cow wing and it's too easy for him to waltz into the box and, and get himself a, a, a goal. I just thought it was far too easy. Braga weren't weren't dominant enough, weren't positive enough, weren't switched on enough. Um, and I think they, if they're going to be, you know, the, the kind of top three challenger that we think they might be this season, they're going to have to play an awful lot better than that. Well, look, I, I really want to talk about Oscar Aranda, who got the winning goal, and um, and he came along along with Alfonso Rodriguez, who got the, the equaliser as well um, for um, around the fifty five minute mark. And I think that that you know what 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 changed because Famalicao had never really pushed Braga that much back in the first half. They were you know there was they were, they were playing quite deep themselves, sort of sucking up this this pressure. But when these guys got on, they could just get the ball forward. They could carry it right. And, they could, and Oscar Aranda just looks like an incredible dribbler. You know, I I was you know I like my stats right, and I was trying to find the perfect way to explain what a difference Oscar Aranda made on this game and and. I know, it might be a little clunky, but but bear with me. And because look, Braga, like I said, Braga had control in the first half, and they pushed Famalicao so far back. So Famalicao really found it hard to move themselves up the pitch and put pressure on themselves. But in the thirty-five minutes around the played, he carried the ball progressively one hundred and twenty-seven yards. Now, that to put that in color, that's just shy of a quarter of the entire Famalicao's progressive carries for the whole match, and he did this in thirty-five minutes. I went even deeper. I got sucked in trying to like just. I was just so impressed with how many times this guy would take a player on and just move the ball forward and uh, attack and attack and attack. And I think uh, last season, Galeno had the for the season had the highest amount of progressive carries, which came into about 120 for the whole season. 38, well, 38 games or like just over 2,400 minutes. If Aranda keeps up his, this <laughs> progressive carries per minutes ratio, it's going to go. It's gonna blow everything out of the water. It was ridiculous, but look, I, I, I think it just 
they've obviously gone off the gem in him. He looks really dangerous. I think he, I think he took his goal really well. You say no one challenged him, but I think he just he just really found the gap. He just could put the ball a perfect distance in front of him, get get where he wanted to go. So so good, and I think. Yeah, I think Braga just didn't know how to to deal with it. Really, they was they were suddenly on the back foot, and I don't know as well if we need to question the decision. The Champions League qualifier, they played a strongest centre back combination combination in Jose Font and Niakate, and then for your first league game, you take them out and bring in two other guys in Sarchi and um, was it Tormena? Sorry, but and Tormena's obviously played a lot last season. Sarchi not so much, and that just seems like a really big decision to make for Marta George to sort of just chop and change that. Obviously he's probably thinking a lot about the next the second leg of the Champions League qualifiers. I can I can I can understand that. But to make that decision on the two centre backs rather than other players such as Bruma who who's vitally important, even Ricardo Horta, I would be even more forgiven if he, he changed those players rather than those I think that's just a huge difference to make in a team, a huge change to make and 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 though they're not individually responsible for the two goals exactly, I just think it couldn't have helped helps possibly is it perhaps a hindrance listen i was thinking exactly the same thing you don't want to make excuses for a loss but you know you do wonder how much that midweek champions league game came into after george's thinking both with resting players and, and rotating players for a big game coming up actually that's playing tonight as we record um and also you know how much fatigue might come into it having played in midweek um the week before of course, again, it's, it's speculation and, and we don't know how much that would uh, affect things. I think definitely Arthur George's game management left a little bit to be desired. I think uh, he um, settled on the 1-0 lead and had the uh, had the Champions League in mind and perhaps that's what allowed Fam Lecao to get back into the game. But uh, just to end on Fam Lecao, I, I don't want to give off the wrong impression. I, do, I am impressed by how they played. I do expect them to be a good team this season and you know a team with a lot of new faces in the starting lineup it was a fantastic result from their perspective to kick off their season um such a positive way that's going to do wonders for their confidence all right well let's do the next game and we've talked about two upsets barney so let's uh get things back on track with one of the big three who managed to hold on for three points despite a late scare i'm talking of course about sporting who beat three two and this time it was the turn of the favourites to grab a stoppage time winner. Uh, they came back despite a uh, late comeback attempt from Vizella, who uh, uh, put up a very good fight. Sporting went 2-0 up with two goals in two minutes from star striker Victor Jokeres in the first half before two second-half goals, again, two goals in two minutes. Saw Vizella equalise in very dramatic fashion. It really did look like Barney. Sporting might have slipped up again, as we saw them do too many times last season. But it was a 98th minute winner from Paulinho, which gave them a huge win. Another incredible game. And we were talking about Sporting improving compared to last season. The thing I was thinking straight away was, perhaps this time last season, this is a game that they wouldn't have been able to recover from and they would have dropped two points. Yeah, I do wonder. I mean, firstly, I want to talk about Jorquez. Um Sorry, did I get that right, man? I think I've attempted it three or four times so far. Is it Gjorkes or Gjorkes? <laughs> I'm going to struggle with that all season. I think, I think the general consensus is 
Forget the G, Jokeres. Jokeres. Oh, that's easier to remember, Jokeres. And don't even get me started on the, the new midfielder. We'll get to that when he plays. <laughs> that's next week. So, but Jokeres, I mean, look, I think instantly he's made a huge, huge difference, right? Um, a statistic I saw, which I really liked, was in this game they had 54 touches in the opponent's box. That's the highest amount of sporting you have had since Amarin's become manager, you know, and, and and that's something that I think that's been quite obvious for a while that they've they've struggled to do. When um, Paulinho has been leading the line or they've been going with the three wingers in the attack. The the his pace and, and the space he finds and he's able to generate himself. I mean both of his goals, he is so good with his feet. He moves the defenders, he finds that inch of gap and instinctively just puts them away. I mean, and also he's, he's available. That's the other difference I really saw in this game. You know, he, he's an option. Uh, like, he fight, people can pass into him. You know, he can hold the ball and, and it's it just feels like they haven't had a player like this in a very, very long time. Albert, I was so impressed with him. I think I, we briefly talked about in the few podcasts we've done in the build-up to this season, but I just think I coming from the championship, coming from Coventry, coming for this fee, I've... I've always in the back of my mind had little doubts, right? And I, I and I haven't watched him in preseason at all. I've obviously seen that he's been scoring and everyone's been talking about him, but I was sort of reserving my judgment for this game really. And man, I was just blown away. I was so taken aback by how good he was and how impressive he looks. It looks like he'll be able to do it in any any stage in the Champions League and well, Europa League, sorry. Um, but like, you know, he'll be able to do it. And, uh, you know, he just looks absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, you're absolutely right, mate. Joker is, I thought he looked like been like an absolute beast. I try not to use that word too much, but I think it is appropriate in this case. It's the physicality, it's the strength, good movement combined with good feet, great finishing. That first goal, um, you know, the quick feet to cut back onto his left and finish was fantastic. Uh, and he wriggles through two players uh, for the second goal, which was absolutely fantastic. After he scored those first two goals, Barney, I thought he was genuinely going to get four or five in this game alone. Obviously, he didn't do that, and I think it showed that he needs service in order to score. But if they can get the ball to him in dangerous areas, you know, he looks unreal. I think he's going to score um, a lot of goals this season. Um, obviously, there was that hairy moment in the game where they conceded those two goals. The first coming from an error by keeper Antonio Adan. I was thinking as it happened, this guy just needed one game. Do you know what I mean? He just needed one game without any drama to get those accusations off his back. Um, it was a bit of a mess from him, which sort of opened the door to Vizela to get that momentum. It was genuinely remarkable because they scored their first goal and immediately from kickoff went and scored a second. So as it was happening, it was incredibly dramatic. I, I have to say, unlike my assessment of Boa Vista or even Family Cow, I didn't think Vizela were all that great in the game they weren't terrible but I wasn't sitting there thinking oh this team are going to get back into it you know Sporting were 2-0 they looked comfortable they had two minutes of madness shall we say and then of course they got that really really dramatic late winner which um, you know is never a certainty with Sporting you never know whether they're going to get back into it but they did but just for a second on Vizella Barney how do you think they played obviously there were moments where I thought they looked good There there were moments where I thought they played well I think they'll take positives from the game in that if they play this way against lesser opponents, I think they'll they'll get some joy this season. Um, but it was it almost felt like a freak moment for me with those two goals in that second half. Yeah, it was. Um, 
I mean, Adnan's mistake was uh, almost comical the way with the ball was spinning and as he sort of, after he made that challenge, his leg just tried to grab it with his hand but just span out of the way. But then uh, I thought Ascende, the, the striker, um, did very well. He obviously showed a lot of pace. It was a because it was a, a straight race between him and Nasio on that sort of because obviously Sporting been playing quite a high line and the ball came through. Um, and it was also that, that, that both goals were some transitions, right? Because I think it was also it was Afonso Marrera on the playing left wing back. He come on for Mateus Reese, um, and he sort of struggled. And then that, that's where they were able to get the breakaway and very very good cross and finish for um, Nuno Marrera. It was really interesting to see. I mean, to, to, sorry to quickly, I, would, I do want to talk a bit more about um, Mar- Mar- Afonso Marrera because for Sporting, because I think that was a really interesting moment. He obviously, I saw him receive quite a lot of stick online, and it was quite a disappointing performance. But we've just done a preseason show. We've been calling for Amarin to to bring through a few more youngsters this season, but to play, you know, to play that guy out of position. Forgive me, I can't remember if the the, the substitution came as a tactical change or for injury but regardless you know you brought in this guy who's not naturally a fullback so I think he's more of a natural winger and he's he's, he's come on on the left hand side and then also you, you take him off even if it's just to kill a few seconds at the end of the game it just I, I don't know I, it didn't feel right at all it felt like a, a really horrible situation that for, I just felt bad for the guy and I, I don't think Amarin did him any favours in that moment and I also sort of putting a bit more on Amarin just I think he made substitutions when he it just felt like it didn't need it, and then that's suddenly you're starting to get these 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 two chances for Vizella. I I don't know what you think, Albert, because I think I it, maybe I'm looking too much into it and I'm getting too much from it. But it it just I don't know. It didn't all didn't feel nice. Yeah, strange one. I mean, that subbing off a sub is is it's not a great move, is it? I mean, it doesn't do wonders for the player's confidence, especially a young player playing out of position who's basically doing a job for you, although I understand they had um, uh, issues at, at left wing back with injury and, you know, Santos was injured, so they needed, you know, options on, on that side. But as you say, to take off the sub, hopefully the young kid doesn't take it too personally. Um, I think Am- Amarim's, uh, Amarim's squad management, in-game management, shall we say, has always been a little bit uh, strange, left a little bit to be desired. But, Barney, they, they got the 98th minute winner. He brought on Paulinho, who got the goal. So, we can't be too harsh on him. And, you know, when Paulino is knocking that in in the 90th minute, I'm not a sporting fan, but I'm standing up cheering because I was absolutely delighted. I thought, you know, what a story. Paulino, the man we thought was going to be brushed aside in favour of their uh, exotic new striker. Well, he came on and, and said, listen, lads, let me handle this. Uh, and he absolutely did. Um, obviously, look, a, t- a tough result for Vizella to take because I think they thought they'd got a, a you know, a really positive result for their first game of the season. You know, any point away from home against one of the big three is, is, is fantastic. Although, having said that, as I alluded to, I do think that Sporting deserve to win the game on balance of how things are played. Um, but Vizela, again, they can take positives from this. I think they showed that they've got a good little team. I think they they played some decent football and they will give problems, at the very least, to plenty of teams this season. Can I, can I shout out my guy, Bustamante? I, those who listen to the pre-season <laughs> show... This is a Colombian midfielder that Vizella has signed who I, I had no idea about, but I watched a few videos and I'm completely taken with him. <laughs> but look, he, I think he made quite an impression in midfield. You know, he had the most defensive actions than anyone on the pitch. He looked good on the ball as well and, and, and got Vizella forward a few times, rarely gave the ball away. Um, and look, if I, if I was going to 
draw similarities to perhaps a more familiar player to our listeners, I would say he looks a bit like an Agate type player. You know, he looks like lots of energy, can just very good at snuffing, sniffing out danger. Um, um, I apologize now because I'm going to bang about on about more season, but I'm really rooting for this guy. I thought he looked pretty decent for Vizela. Well, stay tuned for more Barney Bustamante chat uh, very soon. All right, let's do the last of the of the big four and Barney Porto, who had to come from behind to meet beat Morrowinds two one away from home. That's newly promoted uh, Morrowinds. It was not pretty at all. Uh, at times, they looked pretty rusty and a little bit uninspired, and they made hard work of a game which on paper I think they were expected to win but the most important thing is the result and they got the result they needed and how many times have we said that about a Porto team managed by Sergio Fonseca yeah I, I unfortunately couldn't watch this game but I got a text from you saying Moran's a 1-0 up and I was like oh here we go this is it this is the beginning of the end because uh, I, <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've got my doubts of Porto this season but then what a fool I am! Because you, you you never rule off rule out Porto, do you? Um, Absolutely. It was look. I think it was. Uh, I was quite interested in this. I mean, when I, I saw the starting eleven, I saw João Mario got the start for the game, which was a surprise. I thought he was injured. I've um, the last news I'd heard was that he was you know just back from injury and just just started training with the team. So to see his name down at right back was uh, well, well, a pleasant surprise. Because I, I like João Mario, but look, I think that what. With, with such a drab first half, Conchisal then made the tactical change at moving Pepe into the right back, as he's uh, quite often does, and bringing Tony Martinez on, which, well, did two things for me. One, Taremi needs a, a strike partner, in my opinion. I think he was looking off the pace. You know, in that first half, there was um, Pepe was playing behind him, he had Otavio on the right, Galena on the left, but I think Taremi's instinct is to sort of drop and get involved in the play. He's not going to be that man playing on the defend, last defender and he needs that strike card. So in that sense, it worked. But I do look at the Moran's goal and I think that comes from Pepe being weak at the back post. You know, he's got Fringpong on him. Uh, the cross comes in and, and he he's, he's he's always struggling. He's not in the right place. And yeah, it... it I, if, I, if I might interject, Barney, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a winger playing right back. Uh, a player who doesn't understand the full-back position and the importance of, of tracking a runner at, at the far post. It's 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 basics for a right-back who's played right-back for the whole of their career, but not necessarily for a winger who's, who's not used to that side of it. Well, exactly. And and that's what you're always going to get with Pepe playing um, in that position. But then, you know, we, we can also see what he offers going forward, which is what Conscious Hell talks about. But, you know, when they're in, a, in this sort of game where they're not so free-flowing and not so... Uh, Attacking, you know, I'm always going to look at that. Um, but look, I think Tony Martinez's goal Kate, took it well when Vendor as well. You know, there was a nice build up play, good, good little bits of um, a few one twos and that. They got themselves in a sticky situation, they seem to sort of struggle to get themselves out of you, if you see what I mean. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk, let's talk about the goals then because it was two second half goals. Um, the first one was Tony Martinez. Uh, Romario Barrow puts a decent ball into a dangerous area. It's touched down by uh, Cardozo and Antonio Martinez is there to finish uh, in quite a tight gap in the middle. And then the second goal comes from, from Wendell. Um, again, kind of finds himself in, in the middle of the pitch on the end of the box, receives the ball, and it's a, a good finish from range, which kind of sneaks in to the kind of the edge of the box. Um, it was just very interesting, Barney, to see Porto not really able to create really dangerous chances. Both of those goals were kind of half chances. The Tony Martinez goal was the best chance, 
And I think that came when Maureen's were, were kind of a bit more wide open because they were very, very solid defensively. Um, you know, I mentioned Romario Barrow. That's such a shame for him. Romario Barrow, who, who came off the bench, um, a player that we've said, is this going to be his, his breakthrough season at Porto after a few years on loan and not quite making it, comes on, plays well, creates a goal. Uh, and then gets injured and, and, and has to leave the pitch, which is a real shame. And then can add to that, Nico, Nico Gonzalez comes on, the player they've just signed from Barcelona, and he played really well when he got on. And it's like, I feel, I sort of feel like that was Barrow's opportunity. And then now he's injured. You know, he's, he's, had, he's had a good preseason, showing conscious Sal that he can sort of trust him. And then he got his opportunity. He got he was ahead of the pecking order from Nico Gonzalez. And now this injury, and I reckon Nico Gonzalez has gone up the peck in order, and that could be it. You know, that could be Barrow's way back in. Anyway, I don't know. I think his, like you mentioned, his his a um, contribution to the goal was really good. You know, that was a. I I can't think of seeing that many players make those sort of passes for Porter in the past. You know, it's it's it just like it was a quite a brave pass to make. It was difficult. We had to whip it around, get it in the air, and yeah, I think that was a really impressive pass. So I really hope he can get back, get back soon and get back in the team. But then also, you know, it's nice to see that Nico Gonzalez can come in and, and, and looks decent in that midfield as well because, yeah, that, that really um, that, I think he made the midfield look, look a bit more better. You know, there was a bit more to them. But, you know, Estacchio, as much as we love him and, and as hardworking as he is and, 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 and tidy as he is, he's not quite that magic maker is he and whereas Nico Gonzalez looked like they had a bit more about him in that sense yeah and there were some interesting lineup selections as well from from Contrasal most notably the fact that there were no new players in the starting 11 uh, at the start of the game um, no Fran Navarro up front no Gonzalez in the midfield um, and another interesting one Barney a player that we highlighted as a player to watch in our season preview show David Karma who with Pep suspended um Sergio Conchisal goes for Cardozo at the back ahead of Karma, who they signed for 20 million euros. Um, I think we all know that David Karma had a very poor season last year and couldn't get into the team. That said, I think a lot of people like myself were thinking Sergio Conchisal has a habit of bringing players through in their second season and maybe this is going to be the season which is David Karma. It could still be, but the fact that on the first game of the season, uh, Sergio Conchisal still trusts Cardozo over David Karma, I think is... Uh, uh, a pretty worrying sign. Although I have to say, Barney, I thought even Marcano was Porto's best defender, especially in the first half. So, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and Kandas Cardoso as well. He's a good player. Like, you know, and he he, he did well first half of last season when Pepe was out and he, he, he got an assist in this game. It was a nice little touch, you know. Yeah, it's um it's gonna be hard for Macano. it's gonna be hard for Karma to get back in. <laughs> Is and um, we should talk about Morens then, Barney. Um, similarly to Vizel, I think they'll be pretty guided not to get anything out of the game. Obviously, they went one nil up, not managing to hold on for that dream start to the season. I have to say, I've really liked how this team played. I, w- I didn't know what to expect at all. They are pure pace all over the pitch, and they were counter attacking like mad. It was absolutely rapid. Whenever they got the chance to counter, they had players flying forward. Left, right and centre. The build-up was so quick. Every player was sharp. Every player was rapid. At times, it was almost too quick that they couldn't keep up with the speed that they were countering. It's a very bold playing style. Um, it's one that I'm really interested to see them use against lesser opposition. Because obviously, when you're playing against Porto, it's going to be much more difficult. I want to see this team come up against the mid-table side and see what they can do. Because it seems like they've prioritised pace all over the pitch. It almost reminded me, Barney, of those 
teenagers playing Ultimate Team on FIFA, where the only stat they care about is pace, right? Because that's the most useful asset they have. It was a little bit like that. It was like all the centre midfielders, all the wingers were just sprinting forward. It was a very enjoyable style to watch, and I look forward to watching it again. I have to say, yeah, no, I was really impressed. As you know, there's, uh, I mean, uh, Godfrey Tringbong, the, the left back who got the goal. I, I remember him when he Morans were last in the uh, in the Premier League, and he was one of those fullbacks who looked like he could make that jump to a bigger team or maybe get a move to France or something. But then he went down and he stayed with them, and and, and he's come back up and he he looks just as good, if not better. He, I thought he was brilliant. Um, I like the midfielders in Camacho and um, Adam Zeno. I think Adam Zeno in particular, the, he was playing a number 10 role. Um, uh, I, I think he's the one to keep an eye on. He looks like a really nifty little player. And also, and finally, Gonzalo Franco, who um, the, the midfielder, 22 years old, I believe. But he looks like a, you know, he's got a bit about him. Uh, he, he just looks like a really, my type of midfielder. It's, it's like, you know, he's, he's solid physicality, bit of class, but, you know, eye for a pass. Um I was, I was I was impressed with a lot of their players. You know, I think they they did all right. Absolutely, definitely a team I'm going to be looking out for in the future, and a team I'm excited to watch uh, next week. All right, let's do a couple more games, Barney, and move on to possibly the game of the weekend uh, as Aruka and Estoril played out a seven-goal thriller, a game which saw Aruka win four-three after coming from behind three times despite only having ten men. I watched this game live, and when the winning goal went in, it was absolutely unreal. The drama in this game was was absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, what a game this was! This was uh, <laughs> I just couldn't I couldn't believe it. The, the way the, the goals went in and and the, the the way the game played out, it was just incredible. Um, look, I mean, let's start with I guess Astral's first goal, um, Jordan Holsgrove's free kick, which. Um, well, first of all, great to see Jordan Holsgrove back in the Premier League. I thought we were, we were never going to see him again, but he, he seems a he looked good in his Estoril uh, shirt. He you know look, looks part of the team. Uh, you know, look he played decent, but his free kick. I know people will talk about the Arab error because he does seem to bounce and put it in, but it is one of those difficult free kicks for a keeper. Where you know if it's bouncing before, it's always hard. Um, you know, it, it he didn't look like the goalkeeper that we saw last season. You know, the, it, no, it was a bit flappy, and yeah, but I don't know. And and then for Aruka to get their goals, I mean, I, it's a bit of a blur actually because so many of these goals were bangers. They were just like people were just <laughs> rifling it. Like um, Marquez's goal for Estrel, the the second one that way, he just sort of from an, uh, an outrageous angle, just hits it as hard as he can into the, the far top far corner. Um, sorry, but I'm a bit of a mess of where you want to talk about first because I felt like there was so much going on in this game. Well, let me take people through the goals then because it was a fairly tame first half. Obviously, as you say, the free kick from Jordan Holsgrove puts Estoril 1-0 up and then we get uh, back into it with an equaliser. Tame first half, although the red card at the end of the first half would really open things up. And then the second half is just unbelievable. Estoril go 2-1 up with that fantastic finish you just mentioned outside of the foot on the tight angle, into the top corner. They then score a third goal, Barney. But it's ruled out by VAR and Aruka score two minutes after that goal was ruled out to make it 2-2. Estoril then score a third goal in the 70th minute and must surely think, right, we're going to go on to win this game now. But Aruka equalised again, literally two minutes later, before scoring a 95th 
minute winner. So it was absolutely crazy. Some absolute bangers. Rafa Mujica for the first equaliser, the first goal for Aruka. Fantastic. Christo, I think it was the third goal. Absolute banger from outside of the box into the top corner. Estoril scored two bangers themselves. A 95th minute winner coming from behind multiple times. Genuinely, I cannot stress how much um, this was an incredible game. I think there's two things worth pointing out, Brian, if you want to talk about this game seriously. One, for Aruka, you know, we talked about Braga having a midweek European game, which might have distracted them or caused some fatigue. Well, Aruka themselves had a midweek uh, European game before in the Conference League, uh, Conference League qualifier. They then go down to 10 men and to still pull off performance like that and to get a win is absolutely remarkable. But I think it's also worth mentioning, Barney, that from, from Estoril's perspective, despite what we're saying about this being a kind of a fun game, a dramatic game to watch, if you look at it seriously for a second, Estoril went to a team who'd played midweek, they went 2-1 up with a man advantage and they still couldn't win the game. I think if we're being honest, I think this has to go down as a, as a real disappointment for Estoril. Yeah, they'll be thoroughly disappointed. Um, I, I can't help but feel that Aruka, we've talked about the new manager and, and Daniel Ramos and, and and the new attacking football that he's brought to Aruka because they were so good at um, being solid and tight. And with their red card, that's what they suddenly had to revert to that being again, is this 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 team that was hard to break down and 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 solid and then t- take their opportunities when they get it. And I think that's what really worked for them. Um, yeah, I think Astro are obviously a team in a transitional moment. Obviously, there's a lot of new players, a lot of new faces at the club. Um, Alvaro Pacheco has got to work it all out. Uh, the you know it, they'll be they, they will be disappointed, but I can't. I don't want to sort of take away from the praise that Aruka deserve because they did a really good job of controlling the game. And you look, I think the player for me that I really wanted to heap a lot of praise on was David Samal, the the midfielder, 33 year old. A veteran, if you will, um, you know, it's he's lost, he's, he's suddenly lost his um central mid, mid, midfield partner in Ebu Kwase, and 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 yet he's still able to to run the game almost from that, from that, you know, two assists, some great free kicks, um, just protected the defense well. I just thought it was an incredible performance for him. Morley Silla, as well, once again, just a really tidy performance, the whole back line for for Aruka, you know, with this new Galovic and Opoku partnership. Um, and you've already mentioned the two strikers. I really like, I really like them together as a two. I think they're, you know, obviously both Spanish lads, and they just they got a bit about them. So yeah, I think it was an incredible result for Aruka. But I think, yeah, I I, I also do think you're right to sort of lay some blame at Estoril's door. And you know, it's obviously very early in the season, but these are the sort of games where, you know, there, there was an opportunity there for you to get some points and f- to come away with nothing, you know, that it could, could be bad at the end of the season. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting to look at this Aruka team who are largely the same as the team that, that we watched last season. So many of those key players still in the side, Araboena, Apoku, Thiago Izgayo, Koreshma, David Simao, Morlai Silla, Rafa Mujica, but yeah, these new these new Spanish boys because they seem to have a thing for signing Spanish players. Cristo, Jason, even is it the new Puche? So they've signed a lot of interesting players. That I think are going to add a great quality to that team. So yeah, Aruka definitely a team to keep an eye on. And just the last word on Estoril, I don't want to be you know a downer on them. Obviously, I do think they should have won the game, and I, I think if they look back, they'll be disappointed. 
but that said, they themselves are going through a bit of a transition, and and they do still have some some interesting players in the side. So I don't think this is you know uh, the end for Estoril. I think it's literally just the beginning. So definitely another team to keep an eye over the next few weeks. Um, and lastly, finally, we're going to do one more game, uh, and we're going to talk about the biggest score of the weekend and the team who currently sit top of the Premier League. That is, of course, Gilles Vicente, who put five goals past Portimonense for a dream start to the season. Two goals from Kanye Fujimoto. He's almost a veteran of that side at this point. Uh, and it was three goals from newcomers, from newcomers Pedro Tiba, Torre and Gabriel Pereira. Um, I'll let, let you kick off. Where do you want to start with this one? I've got a feeling it's going to be their uh, Japanese goal scorer. Oh mate, yeah, I just he just it's just made me so happy. I, I've I've really liked Fujimoto um, ever since I first started watching him. Was it even when we first did this podcast, or was it the second season? I can't remember. But re- regardless, I, I've I've always had a real soft spot with him. But him and Gilles Vicent went for a really bad season last year. Um, he's his form dropped dropped off. He for, for whatever reason, maybe he wasn't being played in the right position. But his this game, he just was back to his best and Fujimoto I just in my head is him arriving late on the box having been sprinting up and down for the whole match you know but he's still got the energy to get himself back up back up and arrive late and his goal is his goal um which wasn't the penalty was a really good finish you know I think it looks so much more difficult than it than it may have looked on on the tv because he had the side foot at the ball was coming across him and he just put it in the one place he could have put it so I was really impressed with that and this well the, the Gilles Vicente as a whole you know they were really really positive really like just seemed relentless there was no point where they were going to stop there was no opportunity for Portsmouth to get back in the game at all I mean the, the fullback positions for me were the most interesting you know Zay Carlos um, who got an assist in this game but was Brilliant! Like as soon as he got the ball get going, and 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 he did his defensive duties well as well. But also Buta, the um, fullback they've brought back to the league on loan from Udinese, he he won the penalty and, and and himself got an assist. And they were really strong on those wide positions, you know, just getting forward, going on the break, and yeah, just um, it was just really good football from Jovicent. Yeah, Buta was my player of the match. He was the one that really impressed me. Two assists from left back for a young player. Um, he's coming on loan. I think he already looks like possibly an upgrade on, on Adrian Marin, who's gone to Braga. So, really good bit of business from them. Uh, Zay Carlos as well on at right back, you know, back and, and playing well. I think he was involved in at least one of the goals. So, really pleasing to see him back to his best. And Gilles Vicente, just in general, a team, it's really pleasing to see playing good football because, you know, we know there's great potential in that side. They've signed lots of interesting players. They've got a good manager and they got off to the absolute perfect start. It could all have been so different, though, couldn't it, Barley? Because Portimonense, they had a great chance in the first five minutes, cleared off the line. Um, although I should add a little asterisk to that, cleared off the line by their own player rather than a zero percent defender. Um, it turned into a bit of a nightmare, though, unfortunately. I don't know how you would even describe this game. Although, Barney, I did look into this, and there were some very interesting statistics around this game. So, Gilvesen had an XG. They scored five goals, but they had an XG of one point six. While Portimonense had an XG of 0.9. They both had nine shots. Both teams the same. Uh, Gilles Vicente had five shots on targets and Portimonense had three. It's only two less. So I, mean, I laugh and joking about it could all have been so different. But those are remarkably similar stats. So it's worth checking out all the full stats from the game because they are quite interesting. Um, 
Well, Porto is just really unlucky then, or were they really poor? Because, you know, to lose 5-0, something must go wrong. But on paper, they must be looking around going, I don't think we played that badly. I don't know. I, I do, I, I was, it's interesting you mentioned it as well, because I do wonder if Sylvester Jasper had scored that goal at the beginning, how different the game would have panned out and if more Porto fans would have been able to get tighter and just shut up shop as they, as they have done sometimes in the past. I also got to look out at... Um, goalkeeper as well because uh, Vinicius uh, Silvestre was playing uh, for Portman's and Nakamura was on the bench and everyone knows how much I rate Nakamura and and, and the stats don't lie we, we, I talked about this last season you know the, the amount of goals he kept out uh, for Portman's was ridiculous and I felt very much helped steer them away from, from danger so that was a bit of a sick one for me especially considering you know as you mentioned the five Chilvesen had five shots on target and five goals so not a single save you know I don't want to lay the blame at just one person's door, but yeah, I think that's an area that they perhaps could have looked at. I just think, once again, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a Portman side with mistakes. Um, the back line were caught out in quite a few times. Um, Pedro obviously made the mistake for the, the penalty that springs to mind. And just, yeah, they just got overrun a few times in midfield as well because, you know, there was... Um, Chilvesen were very quick, you know, if they got the ball, I think at least two of their goals was break from the halfway line. I, mean, I Two players I want to talk about, actually. I think that perhaps my favourite goal was um, Tinjani Tabrol's uh, goal, the, the winger on loan from Feyenoord. I think it was Maxine Dominguez, the uh, player, they uh, another new player who was playing on the right-hand side of midfield in the absence of Murillo, who could be on his way out from, uh, for a few things in the news and what a key player I thought he would be for Jorgensen. But Maxine Dominguez came in and just a beautiful touch, just a sort of spins in the middle of the uh, pitch and then gets bursts out to the right hand side and puts it on a plate for um, Tinjani. So yeah, it was some really good f- moments from Jules Vicente. And I think in uh, and just seemed to scramble in those dangerous, quick counter attacks from uh, um, from Jules Vicente. Well, look, that's about all we've got time for on this week's episode of the Longball Football Podcast. Worth remembering, of course, it's only game week one. And there's an awful lot of football still to play. Just a reminder of some of the results that we haven't had time to talk about today. Casapia beat Ferenz 3-0 away from home. A really good result for them. Rio Ave at home beat Shavs 2-0. You might remember from our pre-season show, Rio Ave, a team we had our doubts about. Shavs were quite optimistic, so a very good result for Rio Ave. Uh, Pretoria went away to Estrella and got a very important 1-0 win. A few controversies there, though, with sendings off, uh, etc. But I'm sure we'll uh, talk more about those two teams uh, on coming podcasts. Of course, important to mention that Moreno basically resigned after that Vittoria win, having, um, you know, crashed out of the Europa Conference League. Uh, we had a live reaction to that on our uh, pre-season <laughs> preview, preview show. But look, uh, just quite surprising that that, that news and, um, yeah, uh, Feels like a shame, but it'll be interesting to see who Victoria uh, get in uh, to replace him. Yeah, that's one we'll have to talk about more next week, I reckon. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Um, although anyone who's listened to the show for the last few seasons will know that we like to end every week with a couple of game recommendations of some football that you should be watching this weekend. Now, we don't like to pick just games involving the big three. We like to pick uh, some interesting games, as as we've seen this week, the best action in the Premier League can come from games uh, involving teams outside of 
the big three. So, without further ado, Barney, can you surprise with your first game recommendation of the season? Um, well, there's, there's two that catch my eye. Um, Saturday, three thirty, Victoria Grimmarsh versus Gilles Vicent, Having just seen the way Gilles Vicent played, and um, Victoria perhaps struggling a little bit against Australia, and obviously with a new manager coming in, that will be a, a really interesting game. Uh, but the one also my second choice perhaps is Monday night, Family Cal Morens. Um both teams that um, I'm keen to learn a bit more about. Um, you know, and, and both teams are fairly well, Family Cal certainly and Morens a decent performance against Porto. So yeah, that 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 might be one to watch as well. People who've been with us for a little while might remember that we used to do little Monday night football watch alongs, and that sounds like the uh, perfect game for something like that. Excellent recommendations. Do you know what? I think I'm going to go with, therefore, Sunday night. I always love a Sunday night game. I'm always at home chilling on a Sunday. So 8.30pm, Sunday night, the Zella are at home to Aruka. That's going to be a really good game. Two teams that I always associate with each other, Barney. They were promoted at the same time. Both had similar stories, and although they've kind of... Aruka had slightly more success. It's always interesting to watch those two match up. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for for this week's episode. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, if you enjoyed listening to our season preview show, uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you wanted to support what we do, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. You could leave us a star rating on Spotify. You could send the podcast to a friend that you think you might enjoy it. And as always, if you if you really enjoy what we do, then you consider becoming a, a socio over on our Patreon page. And uh, just a reminder, it's only one pound a month, and the link is in the description of the podcast. And also keep an eye out on um, Portugal.net uh, for our weekly um, week weekend previews of the up and coming fixtures for all the games across the Premier League. We'll be get, hopefully getting those started this week, and uh, just gives you gets you in the mood for the weekend. Usually out on a Thursday afternoon or Friday morning. So um, yeah, keep an eye out on Twitter for that or Portugal.net. Absolutely. Well, that just leaves us to say thank you very much again for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yes, actually.